Welcome to the Nightmares Podcast, where we talk about all things horror. Sometimes. I am Zach. Welcome. Okay, welcome to the Nightmares yeah, Podcast. podcast. Woo! This is the last time Zach will be introducing us. Ever. Squirrel. Uh, squirrels. Ever. Uh, this is Brandon. Here's the thing, they're gonna forget next week, and, you know, the whole cycle's gonna repeat itself. They'll probably giggle like schoolgirls like they usually do, and, uh... Yeah, time will go on, and so will the rest of the damn world. Squirrels. I'm Mark, everybody. You are? I am. I am. That is, in fact, true. And, of course, to my left, in timeout, is Zach. (laughs) Yeah, he'll be out of timeout pretty soon. Soon Soon enough. uh... Yeah, this is my nightmare's... Ah, this is the Nightmares Podcast, three Chicago filmmakers talking about everything horror and production, film production related. Yes, we are also directionally challenged. Yes, yes we are. The, um, uh, so, anyway. So, before our main topic of the day, I actually watched the pilot episodes to two new horror series. Nice. Did you now? Yes. Cool. Uh, the first one is DC's Swamp Thing. Do you really consider that horror, though? Yeah, th- this show is totally a horror show. Um, it's actually really cool. So it's basically there's this viral outbreak happening in this Louisiana town that's on the swamps. Like, people are dying, like, really horrible plant-related deaths. Like, plants are, like, grown out of people, and they, like, they look pretty gruesome. Um... And so there's this CDC uh, investigator who used to live in the town. She goes to investigate, and then she teams up with uh, this other doctor who's also investigating the viral outbreak. And, of course, there's, like, town corruption and everything. Um, and, yeah, it's basically, like, a horror version of the Dustin Hoffman movie Outbreak. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um... And the whole first episode is before Swamp Thing even comes into the picture. Like, uh, um, for those of you that don't know Dr. Alec Holland in the comics, you know, the typical science explosion becomes Swamp Thing. That's pretty much the end of the episode. So the bulk is like 90, 95% of the pilot episode is pre-Swamp Thing. So we already have this supernatural virus going around. And, and frankly, I thought that was a strong enough plot line without Swamp Thing in the picture yet. So now that we actually have Swamp Thing coming in, I'm even more excited. Uh, Swamp Thing is actually a man in suit, not CG. Thank God. And the, Practical. The little bit of the suit that you see in the show looks really good. And even the CG effects that they blend in with the practical also looks pretty good. Like, you can tell it's CG, but for a streaming service original TV series, it's really good CG. Nice, nice. Yeah, very, so, very cool. And they're totally staying true to the horror roots of the character. Like, it is a horror show. And they, they actually got uh, Lynn Wiseman to direct the pilot episode. He's probably most famous for the Underworld movies. Okay. And James Wan is an executive producer on it. He's probably most famous for the original Saw the Conjuring movies. Uh, he also directed Aquaman, so I guess that's how he got his in with uh, DC. It's amazing how far he's come. Yep, and the head writers, one of the head writers slash showrunners is Gary Doberman, 
who Zach, you would probably know him best for the It remake. Yes. So there is some talent on this show. And uh, yeah, uh, it's a really promising pilot. I can't wait to see where the rest of it goes. Mm. Yeah, the um, uh, it's definitely it's definitely a, a good a good sign. I'm glad they're actually getting to uh, some really good stuff on television. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's you know it was getting a, a tiny bit stale. Um, uh, you know we're only relying on Stranger Things and a couple other shows here and there. Um, so it's 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 nice it's nice that they're getting that done. Um, and then obviously too um, another thing in horror movie news that I knew that you, uh, I talked to both of you around in the week but I wanted a chance to talk to you now about it is um, is Tony Todd saying that he uh, you know is probably going to come back and, and be involved in Candyman he's going to be involved but we still don't know if he's actually playing you know Candyman but um, it sounds like Jordan the fact that he's involved speaks volumes because look at how many remakes we've had post 2003 how many remakes and reboots we've had that have not had involvement from anybody from the originals that's fair it's also Jordan Peele though too we're not going to talk about that but you see my point oh I see it yeah so I mean Jordan Peele's taking over the helm so makes sense Zach did his take a shot yeah yeah Mm. when the fuck did you guys make a drinking game out of my ink just now just now I'm gonna stab you in the throat where's that drinking game that's that's two shots right there yeah take a shot that is right there the Zachary Smith drinking game ooh and then also um, he's not wrong that's definitely a shot what the phrase, he's yeah. not wrong, or you're not wrong. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Really? You're not wrong. Yep. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Where the hell's my knife? Oh, there's another one. <laughs> Fucking stab you. There's, there's another one. one. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, oh. Put the comic down. No. You can't make me. Zach, put the comic down. That's not nice, and you know it. I will eat this comic. I don't know. Zach I don't think that's something weird. Take a shot, <laughs> sir. <laughs> All right, let's you know. Let's get back on topic. Uh, you know what? Just start taking shots until you're dead. That'll that'll make everybody happy. Yeah. Well, I mean that that's your that's that one game. We'll start losing audience members one by one until we're back down to zero subscribers due to mortality rates. <laughs> we're a real we're horror podcast out. now, ladies and gentlemen. We're taking everybody out. The um, don't worry, uh, we'll join you in the afterlife. All right, so hey, that that settles that with all all of the news that's going on. Um, let's get to the uh, the genre of the day. Well, I have one more pilot to talk about. Oh, it is actually going to bleed into our main topic. Nice, shoot, um, go for it. So last night AMC uh, premiered a new series, and I watched the episode today, and it is. I don't know what the proper pronunciation of it is, but it's essentially Nosferatu. Nice. Spelled N O S number four A number two because it's a license plate in the series. Nice. So it's you know Nosferatu. Like it, like it. Um, based on a book by Joe Hill, aka Stephen King's son. Um, it's a book that I've actually seen in every airport bookstore. Because <laughs> that's you know you get your yeah. quality. Oh, do you know what though? You know what's something funny? Um, I bought Ready Ready Player One the book okay. in an airport book. A bookstore, and I actually I bought it on a whim, and I loved it. It's one of my favorite books. So, All right, so great movie. But yeah, um, it's a book that I've seen it's around movie. for years. Never knew exactly what it was, but then I heard it had something to do with vampires. 
Nosferatu. I don't know how I didn't catch that. Yeah, I, I don't know about that one, buddy. But then again, when you're just reading it and you're just seeing NOS number four, A number two, you know, and not knowing what I was about, it just, it just didn't click until, you know, I found License plate title. Eh, fuck this. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But anyway, um, so it starts with, the. It, it takes place around Christmas time, and it starts with this little kid. I think he, they say he's like 10 years old mm. and his mother gets murdered and he gets kidnapped by this vampire driving a car with the title license plate. Uh, the vampire played by Zachary Quinto. Um, nice. Which all he does in the pilot episode is drive and talk to the kid. And he also does something with his assistant that I won't spoil here. Um, but yeah, even though he doesn't do a lot he's mostly speaking in this episode he's a pretty creepy character okay um pretty creepy and who he is at the beginning of the episode isn't necessarily who he is at the end of the episode okay um and then there's another character who is kind of i guess like, she's, like, the kid's babysitter, and she's going by the house, and she sees, like, the crime scene and everything. But she's kind of a sidekick in a way, in that she has this um, velvet bag of Scrabble tiles. And it's like she asks a question, and the letters that she pulls out of it will give her the answer of what she's looking for. So she asks, where is the kid? And the Scrabble tiles spell out, like, a hint for her. Um, Interesting. Yep. Um, but the episode doesn't really spend a lot of time with those two storylines. Um, the main part, like the main chunk of the runtime of the pilot episode, is following this girl who is going through her last year of high school. Her name is Vic, and she's the child of pretty much a bad marriage, essentially. Um, and one day she finds this bridge and while she's riding her motorcycle and pretty much when she, if she, it's like one of those, like, um, what do you call it? Those enclosed bridges. Yeah. Like if you've seen Beetlejuice, you know what I'm talking about. Wow. Stop. Stop it. Get out of my head brain. (laughs) Damn it. Um, but yeah, so it's like if something's lost, if she's thinking about that lost item, when she drives through that bridge, she ends up where that lost item is like there's a scene where her her parents are fighting about the fact that her dad lost his watch she's thinking about the watch she drives to the bridge and she ends up at the restaurant that he left it at Mm. um but yeah the main chunk of the episode just follows her and it's like she's not really she's not in the plot yet at all like she's totally the main character but the episode is pretty much just her life hmm and I mean, it is based on a book by the son of Stephen King, and I, mean, I think Mick Garris once perfectly described what, why Stephen King is such a great writer, and that's Stephen King's books aren't about the monster in the closet. Oh, they're, they're about, never. They're about the family that's living in the house that has the monster in the closet, well, and this episode is very much reminiscent of that 
description. Well, yeah, and they actually that's the funny thing. That's why Stephen King was not a fan of the uh, of the Shining at all. Yeah, like I he I, he felt a lot of things got missed with the dad's alcoholism and the the breaking up of the family. You know, a lot more of that stuff wasn't covered in it. But I mean, you could feel that in like it. Um, uh, you know, it, it's not about the monster. It's about yeah. it's about the people's lives. You know, and what the monster represents in those people's lives, which is actually—he's very good at what he does. I mean, my my nana is the biggest Stephen King fan, and you know, and trust me, she wouldn't have stuck with him um, and read almost all of his books if it was just uh, you know a monster of the week type yeah. of deal. Like, it's about you know, it's a lot about families, a lot about families. Yeah. The um, um, God only knows what his family was like growing up. Holy shit. Who knows? But yeah, uh, Nosferatu, um, definitely like both Swamp Thing and Nosferatu are definite slow burns. Okay. Uh, Swamp Thing is definitely a lot more plot heavy in its first episode, whereas Nosferatu is very much about just the main character, and the main plot's kind of just in the background, just to let you know it's gonna. These characters are definitely gonna converge at some point. Um. So I'm really interested to see where it goes. I have no idea how faithful it is to the book. I've never read the book. Uh, the only thing of Joe Hills I've ever read is his comic book series, Lock and Key. Okay. Which is arguably one of the greatest comic book series of all time. Arguably the greatest horror comic of all time. Um, it's definitely up there. Um, and I think that's actually getting adapted by Netflix into a series, finally, this year. Nice, so nice. I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, um, Swamp Thing and Nosferatu, both very good first episodes. Uh, hopefully, the rest of the, both seasons don't disappoint. Nice, nice. Keyword, hope. Yep, there have been shows before that have had excellent pilots and then fall apart just a few episodes later. Under the Dome, also based on Stephen King. <laughs> well, Stephen King's had his fair share of duds, man. Yeah. The, I was uh, going to say, Maximum Overdrive. Lawnmower Man. Does Lawnmower Man even count, though? Oh, um, uh, the Lollygaggers. You mean the Langoliers? Or the Langoliers, or whatever the fuck. It might as called. well be called the Lollygaggers. It might as well have been called that. It, it's another weird one. Which actually, that's a story that I heard that the sh- that the miniseries just didn't do justice to. Like I heard the short story is actually legitimately pretty creepy. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Mangler. Was... Yeah. What the hell is the show called? Rose Red. Yeah, the haunted house one. Yeah, the yeah. um. Uh, uh, let's see what else. That trailer there? though for uh, was it Ultimate Overdrive? Maximum Overdrive. Maximum, maximum Overdrive. Oh, maximum Overdrive. That was it. It was. Oh my god. That, that is. That's the one he directed, correct? Yeah. That is. Holy by shit! By far the best trailer I've ever seen for a movie in my life. Hey kids, you you wanna? <laughs> this is your brain. This is what your brain looks like on cocaine. Don't do cocaine. <laughs> you know, that should have been the commercial they showed to all those kids back in the day. It's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> say, just say no drug. Like, I almost wanted to see like a mashup between that trailer and the Nancy Reagan PSA. Don't do drugs, kids. Just say no. <laughs> like, uh, like, Stephen King may be successful, but holy crap, is he insane, dude! I don't like. I didn't know. I didn't know what to tell Steve. I'm like, you need to do no cocaine or more cocaine. Like, you're like halfway in between. Like, Somebody called Jack, asked for his suggestion, dude. Like, I don't like. I'm like, I, I don't even know what to do with that dude and everything else. Do you want the greatest movie experience ever? I'm like, um, sure, Steve. 
with a giant green goblin face plastered right behind him. And Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Because... And the voice of Lisa Simpson. For... Sure. Sure, fuck it. Man, no, man. Yardley Smith, she's in Maximum. Oh my god, that's amazing. Just, just another reason to watch the trailer. Was it also... Did the movie ever even come out? Yeah. Oh wow, we need to see it. It's on Blu-ray now. Do you own it? No, it costs why the dollars. Right. Then why Brandon, the fuck aren't you buying it? Brennan, you have to put that the, the, the trailer in the link below. Like it, 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 I yeah. feel like we've done this before. I know, but we have we're to gonna keep it, putting we're that gonna one. Put it again. Like, we're gonna be the free advertisement for that movie. That movie's gonna make a resurgence one day, and it's gonna be because of us. Whenever we finally become I'm famous, pretty, it's been released on Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure it's had its resurgence. No, oh. it's gonna be an even bigger resurgence because there's there's so many people who don't know about this movie, and they need to know. This, or at least the trailer. Yeah, at least the trailer. They got another trailer. <laughs> Are you saying we need to start the Church of the Maximum Overdrive trailer? Yes. Yes. If we're going to start a religion, it's going to be based off that. Please, no. If Peter can do it on, on Fonzie, we can do it on that. See? There you go. <laughs> Everybody, God, please that's... get your cocaine ready. Oh, man. Oh, it's so bad. It, it's, it's super great. It's amazing. Anyway. The um, so that leads perfectly into actually, no, it doesn't lead perfectly. That's an awful, that makes awful no transition. Goddamn we've sense. transitioned out of the thing, and now we have to transitions perfectly to our main topic. Again, yeah. this is the Nightmares Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, where we try to stay on topic but never do. Yeah, organization's a nightmare. Yeah, uh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I bitch. see what you did there. <laughs> That's still my favorite joke from for, from Raiders and everything else. Who knows, Mr. Jones? Even you may be worth something. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Mark, what's our main topic? Oh, vampires. That's Real it. fucking vampires. Yeah, not the ones that sparkle. We're no, gonna, not uh, the sparkly gay disco balls. Yes. Anyway. Um, uh, the <laughs> that's the soundtrack of it. The, um... Uh, also, not Batman either. Unless we're talking about the Batman Vampire Trilogy. Mm. That was a comic book. That, w- that was an anim- I think they animated that at some point, I too. I don't believe they did. No, somebody did an animation of it. We're going we're gonna to put a pin in that one for, for later. So we're going to talk about our favorite uh, um, uh, vampire uh, horror movies. Um, so I'm sure there's a couple of things. Uh, Brandon, you wanna you wanna take a crack at it first? All right, and I'm sure I've got the longest list out of us. That's no re- shit. That, yeah, that's the reason why I said you should go first. Um, I guess I'll start with my favorite vampire movie. Um, you know what? <laughs> this plays right into everything else we've been talking about. I can't wait. Uh, the 1979 TV movie directed by Toby Hooper, based on a Stephen King novel, Salem's Lot. You know they're remaking that, supposedly. Yeah, I know, with the uh, Gary Doberman, again, the screenwriter <laughs> of It and Swamp Thing. Another perfect example, don't go to Maine. Um, you know, when it comes to horror, Stephen King somehow is just... No, 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 not even just horror. That motherfucker is everywhere. Stiff. You know, if you just throw a dart at a dartboard with a list of movies, there's a good 80% chance you're going to hit a Stephen King movie at some point. Fucking Running Man! Yeah. Yeah. Still blows my mind to this day. Yeah, that was one of the uh, Richard Bachman books. God, that amazes me. You know, and, and, I mean, and also, too, you got to include not only his novels, but all of his uh, novellas. Short stories. Short stories, novellas, you know, all of them. It's crazy. The, um, uh, God, just stay the fuck out of Maine. That's, <laughs> stay out of that state. 
And it wasn't Stephen King with the really No, there would be absolutely Maine would be the tourist activity for Maine would be perfect. I feel so bad for the Bureau of Tourism in Maine. Stephen King has fucked you guys for the rest for the next hundred years. I feel so bad. Come to Maine. I promise we're not liking the novels. Where it's really nice here. <laughs> and we're like, nope. Not falling for that trick. Uh, we, we need to write a screenplay that's basically the Jack Black Goosebumps, both Stephen King instead of R.L. Stein. Oh my god. There were so many good jokes. We'll call it Maine. That was, that was probably the best joke in the whole damn movie. There's so many good things. Um, uh, hundred thousand copies. A U.S. No, worldwide. It's, oh. it's a very impressive number. Shut up. <laughs> but anyway, so Salem's Lot, uh, 1979 TV movie. Mm. Um, it's about a writer that returns to his hometown, and the hometown pretty much gets vampirized. Um, In Maine, perhaps. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> The, uh, oh. Just give up. We all know where it's at. It's in Maine. But yeah, it's uh, but yeah, Salem's Lot. So it's a three-hour TV movie. Uh, the first hour and a half, like the vampires are kind of alluded to, but again, it, it, it's mostly about these characters' lives in this town. And then the second half, it all just goes completely nuts with vampires, and it's awesome. Um, Mark, you, you look like you want to say something. No, no, no. That's just that's exactly what the fuck you know happens. It's yeah. it's, it's great. Uh, have you two ever seen it? The I have seen bits and pieces of it. Pieces of it. I've not seen it all the way through. Okay, it's probably my favorite vampire movie. Okay. Um, could it use a remake? Maybe. Well, uh, because I mean, it was made for TV in 1979, so there's a lot of violence that of course couldn't get into it but that also meant they had to rely a lot more on the characters so I, I just unless they do like the it treatment and divide it into two movies which I could absolutely see them doing but also it is I think is a much it I think is a much easier divide because you do have these, the kids and then the yeah, adults yeah, the kids story and the adult story whereas the Salem's Lot the two halves are clearly before vampires go nuts and after vampires go nuts. I, I well, you really, said it was a three-hour TV movie, right? It was a three-hour TV movie do you think broadcast they'd be over two nights. Do you think they'd be willing to do another three-hour movie? Um, that would I would say that'd be the best way to do it. I you agree. Just do three hours straight through. Well, I did hear in the news recently that they are going to do it. Um, yeah. They, I, they, I think that just got released in like the last week or so that they are going to do a remake of it. Yeah, no, so. Gary Doberman is writing it. Nice, okay. Yeah. You know, um, I know there's a lot of stigma against three-hour movies for some goddamn reason. I don't I, know why. I think why. Salem's Lot would deserve it. I, I agree. Because, like, I, I just... Yeah, the division just wouldn't... Because, like, literally, you just get half a movie. It's pretty much, oh, we're going to get to the... Go- oh, we got to wait another year and a half. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, you know, that's um, stupid. And also, they did change Kurt Barlow, the main vampire, for the movie. Um, in the movie, he's... Like this hissing Nosferatu type vampire, whereas in the book I hear he's a much more Dracula esque character. I believe they gave uh, Barlow a an actual personality again in the two thousand and four miniseries with Rob Lowe, and they had Rutger Hauer play him. I never saw it because I heard it was terrible. Um, 
But yeah, Salem's Lot, it's very much a character piece. Uh, in fact, it's uh, one of the main inspirations for a script that I've been writing for a while. Uh, because it is just, I, I don't know, just you don't see horror movies often that just let you see the characters' lives, especially today. And Salem's Lot really does that well. Nice, nice, nice. I dig it. And it's creepy. The window scene is very, very creepy. Uh, it's pretty much so the main kid one of his friends basically gets taken in the woods and then at night he, his friend like every like the kid's dead like they actually bury him they have a funeral for him and everything but then he appears at uh the main kid's window at night just kind of floating there scratching out his window not saying anything and it's just so creepy, especially for a 1979 made-for-TV movie. Um, I would say it's probably Toby Hooper's best work. Which, I mean, he directed the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Poltergeist, Life Force. God, yeah. The Mangler. Um, a lot of good shit there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it. Nice. I'll check it out. I'm, I'm, I'm in. You yeah. sold me. One of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. Just one of my favorite horror movies. It's It just gets better with age. And that, you know, that can't always be said for a lot of movies. No. No, it cannot. Um, what else I got? Um, you got a whole goddamn list. I know you have a list. I know you I always have a, have a list. I always have a list because I do my research before these podcasts. The, um, or as much research as I can. Uh, the other movie I'll talk about briefly is the 1987 vampire-ish, western-ish movie, Near Dark. I've heard of this movie. I've never seen it. And I know do I know it what it's about. It is freaking awesome. So, it's about this like young man who, just like late one night, he gives this young woman a ride and she's a vampire uh, she bites him and he's pretty much taken into her vampire clan uh, Lance Henriksen is in it Bill Paxton is freaking <laughs> mental in this movie alright well Bill Paxton's in it so I have a reason to watch it I would say this is it's Bill over man it's over I would say this Rest is Bill Paxton's peace, best Rest performance really? yes I'll say All this right. is his best performance All right. he is freaking crazy he is insane like his character is just one of the most bloodthirsty, violent vampires I've ever seen in a movie. You said this was in the 80s? 87. Alright, so it's probably good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, directed by Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> really? Uh, of Hurt Locker fame. No kidding. James Cameron's ex-wife. I, I know who that is, yeah. Well, that explains how Lance Henriksen and... Uh, Bill Paxton. Yeah, that explains that connection. Uh, that, and that was a very interesting year at the Oscars. A pre-Lawnmower man, Jenny Wright, is the vampire that bites the main character. No kidding. Um, yeah, it's so insane. That's so nice. Insane. Like... And after she bites him, like, he has no idea what's going on. And like I said, this is like, takes place like out west. So it's like, the sun's coming up. He doesn't know that he's a vampire yet. So he just starts burning up. Like, he's just walking the desert with his coat over him. All this black smoke coming out of him. And it's like, he, it's like he's done for. And then, like, the van that the vampire clan is in just, like, swoops Swoop. in and takes him in so it's like it, there's some crazy stuff shoot 
Nice, nice. I've definitely got to check that one out. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Um, I mean, it's Bill Paxton. Yeah, like, I mean, if Salem's Lot is my favorite vampire movie overall, that is a made-for-TV movie, but if we want to go with what my favorite theatrically released vampire movie is, probably Near Dark. Nice. Nice, nice. i got to check that out. That's that's definitely worth it. Yeah. Hey, what else you got on your list? Um, I'll just kind of go through these a little quickly. I won't go in as in-depth with them. But there's the 1979, directed by Werner Herzog, remake of Nosferatu, with mm. Klaus Kinski as Dracula. Nice. Um, one of the creepiest horror movies, just in general. Um, see it. Just just see it. Uh, the Christopher Lee 1958 horror of Dracula, as it's known here, or out in England, it's just Dracula. Um, Christopher Lee was only in it for maybe five minutes of screen time, I think. Which is insane. The first one, and he and he had a lot more screen time in the sequels. But yeah, Horror of Dracula is a really good one. I actually saw that one in theaters um, right after Christopher Lee passed away. Uh, there was a theater here in Chicago that was having Christopher Lee triple feature. Dracula was the first one. Unfortunately, I got sick during it, so I had to leave because I just couldn't. I just didn't have the strength to go on. Um, but I did see his first Dracula movie on the big screen, which was awesome. Um, Let the Right One In, a Swedish vampire movie about a young boy who becomes friends with a vampire who looks like a young girl. And that one's great. Um, the Hunger with David Bowie. <laughs> Why not? What else do you need to know? Why not? And then Kronos, which is Guillermo del Toro's first movie. Um, what year was that? 93. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ron Perlman was also in it. So yeah, del Toro oh, and Perlman have been working together since, since the beginning. Since the very del beginning. What year was Hellboy? Hellboy was 04. Wow. Yeah. Seems like it was just yesterday. Um, Remember when Hellboy movies were good, Brandon? Yeah. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, and then I have one other on this list, but I am very certain Mark or Zach, one of you two, is going to bring it up. So, we'll see if you guys bring it up. Zach, miss. It's yours, brother. All right, well, Brandon, you know, kind of went down most of the list, so that only leaves two for me and Mark, for the most part. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. No, thanks. Thank yeah, thanks, buddy. Um, I guess I'll go with the more recent one of the bunch. Uh, 30 Days of Night. Which is actually, I think, is it didn't get as much attention as I, I thought it deserved. I thought it was a I really... Think it got, I thought that movie got a lot of attention, and I fucking love that movie. I thought it was okay. Really? Only I okay? I okay. Um, like, I remember that overhead shot at when the vampires first go nuts. Yeah. And I think that's by far the best part of the movie, and I just really don't remember much of it. Well, did the, I, the, I just remember it was very intense violence, like for a vampire I, movie. That movie was the, gruesome, and I loved it. The, the the pace of it was I thought was really good, and actually the plot of it was really interesting. Yeah, about it was a, an excellent uh, idea about Alaska and you know and all the the, the darkness that comes that, uh, that comes with there and everything else. I thought it was a re, yeah really interesting. Which I actually attack uh, at it. I actually bought the comic book, the graphic novel. Um, the graphic novel is pretty different from the actual movie. Yeah, um, like I bought the omnibus that had the first three graphic novels in it, and I actually bought that while I was in Alaska. Well, shit. Yeah. Well, did you know, already then. Did you know it was actually supposed to be a movie before a graphic novel? That I did not know. 
Yeah, so the guy uh, wrote it intentionally to be um, a movie, and I think, I forgot who the hell he sold it to. Um, I don't know, whatever the uh, director who was uh, part of the project, he brought it to him, Mm -hmm. or somebody like that, but I guess they turned it down. Because there was another trend of movies or something that wasn't that popular. So we turned it into a graphic novel. That blew the hell up. And then for, I don't know, about maybe somewhere between five to ten years, the screenplay was just kind of sitting around doing nothing, collecting dust. And then they finally picked it back up and, bam, we got the damn movie. Nice, nice. It turned out to be really damn good. And then the director, David Slade, after 30 Days of Night, got the job to direct the third Twilight movie. Okay. <laughs> You know, I really wanted to avoid talking about that at all. Too bad. We're already there. So no, no, let's talk about no, no. We have standards, thank you. We do. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> all right, hang on, hang on. So this implies you watch the movies? I've seen the first two. I well, am. he made it further than I did. I've seen the first three. You made what? it further than I did. I did. I had, you know, you know what? I couldn't actually honestly sit there and say something sucked unless I actually watched it. I was right. I was right, but... I was going to say, all I needed was the first one. Funny story. Great buddy of mine. Date really wanted to go see the damn Twilight movie. Took her to go see it. Dumped her ten minutes later. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty... That's that's pretty... True story. Cold. cold. Yeah, I mean, the first one, I knew it was going to be bad going. I didn't know it was going to be that bad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this went from a horror podcast to we're going to shit on Twilight podcast. Because uh, it's 2010. And then the second one I watched because um, my, fam- my family was having trouble with our uh, cable company. And so when they replaced our uh, cable box and everything, we got a... Uh, week of one of the I think it was, H, was it HBO or Showtime we got a week of let's go with those. Showtime because I believe HBO has some standards yeah we got a week of those channels for free so I used that time to watch all the bad movies I wouldn't have otherwise touched the 100 foot pole uh, two, three of those movies were the Nicolas Cage movie Knowing Knowing, oh. knowing. Is that the one where oh, he can see the, the future and no, the end no. of the world thing happens? Yes. Yeah, the one where he's looking at a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing's happening. Nothing's two, happening. Revenge of the Fallen was among those movies. Oh. I am under the chainball scrotums. And then what? <laughs> the second Twilight movie, which, oh. from a professional technical standpoint, the second Twilight movie is head and shoulders above the first one. It's just nothing happens in it. Nothing happened in that movie. <laughs> nothing. The it, it, I it, I'm gonna be okay. So think about the Twilight movies and everything. And this is the thing I will say about them: we are not the audience for it. No shit. Um, not even close. The um, uh, in, in the, I remember being dragged there by an ex girlfriend, and you know, there's a reason why she's an ex, ladies and gentlemen. And she, the <laughs> literally, it was the first time I've ever heard anybody make a. I, one of those stupid arguments. I, I, I don't know how to describe this argument. It's a, um, an, oh, an absolute argument where they where I say, but well, this didn't make sense when this. Didn't, she's like, it's Twilight. I'm like, I understand that, but this didn't make sense and that didn't make sense. You know, this kind of, I mean, that kind of worked and everything else. I enjoyed this part, but I, but this really kind of didn't make any fucking. Sense. She's like, but it's Twilight. I'm like, oh, okay. 
And it was at Fine. that moment the relationship ended. And and all I could think of walking out of uh, walking out of the theater was only a Sith deals in like, absolutes. What did you? Yeah. And then, and, <laughs> nerd. Anyway, um, but yeah, it, I just couldn't believe the fandom of of something that is just bad. The like really bad, and that, and, and and also, the funny thing is that they take it seriously. I mean, like it's not like going to see the room and everything else. The fandom of the room is is it's their fans because it's bad. Like, I mean, and they, they got, know it. They do. They get and, some pretty top quality directors on the Twilight series too. So it's not like it's something that, like, yeah, um, yeah. Like I mentioned, the third one, David Slade, who did um, Thirty Days of Night. Um, he went from great vampires to sparkly gay disco ball vampires. The <laughs> second one was directed by one of the screenwriters for Rogue One. Um, but he directed um, American Pie, Battle Boy, The Golden Compass. And Did anybody ever see The Golden Compass? No. Well, that I, I didn't. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever met a single person who watched that damn movie. And then the last two was directed by the man who directed Candyman 2, Gods and Monsters, Dream Girls, The Good Beauty book. and the Beast. I believe he also wrote Chicago. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay for Chicago. Um, How the fuck did these movies get these people? Good question. Money. Uh, yeah. Good answer. Yeah, that's really all I could think of. <laughs> the uh, large... Just don't put my name on the movie for at least another 10, 5 years when nobody gives a shit. <laughs> at least give me a running start. <laughs> the um, uh, money. The money. That's how they got them. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and everyone knew that, you know, that the books were a worldwide phenomenon. It was going to get turned into a fucking movie. It, it's literally the only fandom that managed to make a softcore porn fan fiction that spawned into its own book which inevitably spawned into its own movie which finally is fucking over oh yeah 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 that, that you know yeah that's right I watched the first one of those movies too I how 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 did you even bother how did you do that all I needed was the title Twilight Fan Fiction nope oh this is before I knew it was based on the Twilight Fan Fiction wow yeah. I, I am so yeah, sorry like, I only found that out recently I it was so written on a Blackberry literally <laughs> wow she wrote it. I on used a, to have a BlackBerry. Like they wrote. That's, she wrote that's it on, a story in and of she itself. She wrote it on a BlackBerry. Like didn't even run on a computer. Wrote it on a fucking BlackBerry. I mean, it it, it, it truly, you know, it, vampires were were something to be feared. Like you know, it was bad. And even when it was sexy, it was still bad. Yeah. Like like you know, hold on. Perfect example of a and which by the way is one of mine. One of my one of my picks and it is perfect example of a. Teenage situation with vampires working was Lost Boys. Completely forgot about that movie. Dude, I, I, I perfect example of it working and everything else. Like they were teenagers, but they weren't like overly sensitive. They were actually killers, and then they killed. And people. they burned up in the sun. And and they rode dirt bikes, which I'm pretty sure were the same fucking dirt bikes from Karate Kid. It's <laughs> like literally the same fucking dirt bikes. The um uh, I was like, "Oh, that's that's the, those are the same things. Did you see all those off the set?" The um Anyway, um let's get back on topic. So, Zach, uh, for those who haven't seen 30 Days of Night, what's it about? 
Picture being locked in Alaska, no communication to the outside world, no transportation because some asshole sabotaged everything, and a town full of a bunch of angry ancient vampires. And this is during that time in that one part of Alaska that literally is, does not get sunlight for 30 days. Yeah, that hence the title 30 Days of Night. And these are vicious demonic vampires. The only way you can kill them is with a nice clean shot to the head that makes their head explode. So yeah. shotguns. Yeah, I don't think pistol. I don't think any pistol shots. Maybe no one stakes the heart. I don't remember that. No, and I just remember guns being in this. Like that was like literally, it was either you shoot the head or it's nothing. And also a snowplow, which I yeah, yeah that that worked too. <laughs> you know, it was done by Bobby from Sons of Anarchy. Great. <laughs> the That's I was right. like, oh, it's Bobby. The um, uh, it was a fun movie. I enjoyed it. His sacrifice will always be remembered. Indeed. But yeah, um, you know, there's this little interesting twist at the end, you know, a guy turns himself into a vampire to save his, like, girlfriend and everything like that, you know, that was cool, and then also the violence was just something to be amazed. I mean, Red on snow is always nice. Yeah. Looks nice on camera. It really does. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it's, it, it was a really, it, it brought everything back to what vampires are supposed to be. Well, I mean, I think this was before Twilight. No. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. For sure it was like during. Yeah. I mean, if it was during, it was the only good vampire movie to come out during, you know, because then we got True Blood, Vampire Diaries, you know, just vampires that aren't really fucking vampires. Well, dude, you know what though? You know, I will say this though. Supernatural, they were, oh, the, they were uh, vampires. Supernatural was this. The movie for Three Days of Night, 07. The first movie for Twilight, 08. See, there you go, it's right nice, before. Uh, not, yeah, right. It, right it was before. it was literally just like, here's your last great vampire movie. Now you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. The um, uh, no, but I. Then I, Guillermo del Toro eventually gave us the Strain. Which you still need to watch that. Which you is do. which is very the vampires. I'm sure are very similar between the two different movies. Well, I mean, they're still human in this. They're just very feral and they have their own form of communication but they're still pretty much feral animals yeah they're, they're, they're very feral yeah. so Zach what's the next one on your list yeah that's it because otherwise I'm going to end up stealing marks I actually have a few really the um uh, yeah because I was I looked up a list and oh, I, I sort of re- list, I sort yeah. of remembering a few of them and everything else um Let's start with Lost Boys since you already brought that one up. Yeah. Um, Lost Boys. Uh, uh, what's Lost Boys about? Uh, Lost Boys is a uh, God. It's been been a couple years now. Uh, Lost Boys is basically about a gang of teenagers um, that induct a new kid um, into their ranks, and he slowly finds out that they're vampires, um, vampires who can fucking fly, and they ride dirt bikes. And Keith Keith the Sutherland has beach, you know, highlight blonde hair. Um, and it's and then you also got the Corys in there. Yeah, the Corys like, are both in there and everything else. I mean, you know, and the one Corey. They're the ones hunting the vampires, correct. kind of. Kind of, but Corey's like crazy obsessed with vampires. And he talks about garlic a lot and silver and and everything else. It's, These are the really cliche vampires, but it's still an awesome movie. It is. It's a lot of fun. And, by the way, directed by, by Joel Schumacher. Schumacher. The, uh, I have another movie, but um, just continue. The uh, I, We will come back to you, though. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fun movie. Um, it's it's a fun '80s teenage movie. Okay. The um, I think oh, I, um, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt, but speaking of Corey Feldman and vampires, uh, there's also the second Tales from the Crypt movie, Bordello of Blood. I've never seen it. 
Um, if you like tits, vampires, and blood, I'm sure you can find better movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. The um, uh, I will. I'll check it out anyway. Sure. The um, I, I have it on Blu-ray if you want to watch it. Why not? And I got it just because like it felt wrong to have the Blu-ray of. Demon Knight without the second Tales and Fury to go with it. No, I hear you. The um, uh, so I I definitely hey man I, that's all. What else can be said about that? Um, another another two movies that I enjoyed. I, you want to bounce back and forth? Yeah, go ahead, Zach. Okay. Um, what the fuck was it? Oh yeah, Daybreakers. Anybody see that one? I have not. Was that with Ethan Hawke? Yeah, that was one with Ethan, Ethan. Hawke and, and also the um Sam Sam Elliott was in yeah. there. Yeah, too. What is Pr- that one about? Pretty much. Vampires, you know, pr- pretty much took over the world. Okay. And they, they, they use kind of, f- f- uh, humans as actual fuel. Yeah. Okay. yeah they, they pretty much, um, what the fuck's the word I'm looking for? Harvest. Yeah, harvested a bunch of humans and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, there's still a few humans left kind of as like a resistance thing and all that. But their their numbers are dwindling and they're pretty much done. Okay. Now, the problem is there's little to no humans left. And the only way vampires can continue is if they have human blood. So throughout the movie, the um, the problem of there being no more humans left, it's it's really bad, and eventually Ethan Hawke's character gets um, you know, joins the human characters and they find a cure for the vampirism, and one of these cures um once you once you pretty much get cured, if you get bitten, it cures those people, and because all the vampires are just so chain hungry and all that stuff, it inevitably comes this feeding frenzy of people. Eating each other, then eating each other, then eat, eat cure, eat cure, eat cure. They're pretty much anybody who gets eaten dies because everybody's just feeding off these people because there's no fucking food left, mm-hmm. and it's just mm. this violent massacre towards the end. It, it's a good movie. It's a good story too. Nice, nice. Definitely got my attention on that. Yeah, that's it. That's it's a very nice. unique. I I haven't seen a vampire movie like it before, where it's like vampires have taken over the world, little to no food left. What the hell would happen? Why the hell not? Yeah. So I, I just watched it off of a whim one day. I'm like Ethan Hawke, man. Sure, why not? I like Ethan Hawke. He's a good actor. Yeah, he's in some good movies. Um, I got uh, I got two that kind of tie, and they're, they're both like fun um, horror movies, uh, vampire movies, and that's uh, Dracula 2000 with a very young Gerard Butler. That was, was going to be my other one. And the other one that ties is John Carpenter's Vampires. That's uh, an entertaining one. That is, a, I think they're both very entertaining movies. Um, it, it, uh, do you want to go over what they're about? Um, Dracula 2000 is really interesting. It's a uh, young Gerard Butler is Dracula, and it, it I guess, um, spoiler alert, and everything else, it turns out that he's Judas. Um, uh, it's a very interesting movie, like he's the, and a very interesting cast as well. Yeah, the whole point is he's the first vampire. Yeah. Like, um, that's the whole big gist of the plot. It turns out that he's Judas, and that's his sin. That he becomes a vampire to walk the earth um, as a vampire for the rest of existence, and and then he hunts down a bunch of people and kills them. I mean, it's pretty simple for the most part, um, but it's a lot of fun. It's a yeah. fun vampire movie. It's a Gerard Butler movie before he became Spartans. Yes, yes, yes. That is very true. And also was and also was a very small part in Tomorrow Never Dies, which is a James Bond movie. He was in Tomorrow Never Dies. He wasn't Tomorrow Never Dies. He was in. He was one of the ship operators um, in the boat that sinks at the very beginning of the movie. Well, he reprised that role in what the hell was that movie that came out last year? I don't know. Some, eh, sh- some shit movie. 
Um, and it was pretty good. And then, um, and then, um, uh, John Carpenter's Vampires is about a group of vampire hunters, um, uh, led by uh, James, Woods. James Woods. I the... have James Woods, <laughs> <laughs> and he's amazing. Um, uh, it's actually a lot of fun. And I'm also pretty sure one of the Baldwin's is in that too. I can't remember which Baldwin now. Alec. No, no, it wasn't Alec. It wasn't Alec. Vampires is. Alec Baldwin is way too good for John Carpenter's vampire. Yeah, he's and it's also Daniel too. Baldwin. Yeah, I, I like. I knew it was one of the Baldwins. The um, uh, it's a fun movie. I, you know what? You know what's so funny? I remember bits and pieces about it. Do not remember the plot, except that there were vampire hunters. Was um, there a plot? Not really. It, it, um, uh, the I think it was a pretty toss away, enjoyable vampire movie. Um, that I loved. Um, I'm very curious to hear what Zach's is because I have two more. After, after I have this. a few. All right. So my next one is uh, Buffy, the original movie from '92. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. Saw that I one. cannot do the movie. Look, it's it's mainly my mother's fault. She's a huge fucking Buffy fan, and I don't know. It just kind of grew on me. Um, I saw the show before I saw the movie, but the movie was fun. Yeah, I can't do the. I think the movie is so. I have no idea Stupid. what either the show or the movie is about. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a it's about it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's literally a it's high school girl kicking vampire ass. Pretty much, and yeah. then other and the other shit too. It's a simple story, and it's just fun to watch. Yeah, and know, my mother was fucking obsessed with it, so I had to watch it a lot. So there you go. No, I hear you. Um, I'm I'm actually down to my my final two. The um. Uh, well, depending on which one you say, I'm surprised either of you have mentioned. Shish, because it, it's probably in the final two and everything else. And yeah. I, I wanna, I, damn it, I, 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 well, obviously it's Blade. Blade's number two. Um, there is one more above yeah. it and everything else. Um, Blade's fucking awesome. I, I, like, it's not only is it one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite action movies. Um, it's a great plot. Um, Wesley Snipes was the best cast, and actually, Frost is one of my favorite villains. Um, I think he's a he's a fucking ball. The opening scene is fantastic. Um, just the from, club scene. The club was, scene was is fantastic, and just from a visual look of how it sets the tone for the entire movie, you go, "Oh, this is what the fuck this movie's about." It's literally raining it blood. blood. A, a little, it, it, a dude gets kind of. Um, it's such a, a a great start to an atmosphere. A dude gets led into a club by some hot chick. And um, and she's like, you need to come up. And he's just trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And then all of a sudden, he gets like a little drop of blood on his cheek. He's like, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden, all the sprinklers go off, and and it all comes bloody down. Everyone, you everyone transforms into vampires. You're like, holy shit, this is what we're doing. And then he almost gets eaten, and then Blade shows up. And freaking daywalker, half vampire, half human, hunting vampires. And he has all the best of a vampires, but none of the drawbacks except it's- for the bloodlust. Like, the uh, <laughs> it's movies like that that the MCU needs. Yeah, there's a just... lot of things that the MCU needs, but Disney's too chicken to do it. The um, I mean, but what, what I feel the Blade movies was missing was um, the Afro. Mm. If you've ever looked at the 1970s Blade comics, well, no shit, it's the 1970s. 1970s. <laughs> the um, uh, I yeah, no, but it just everything about. Um, uh, Blade was it was just great. There was a great plot. It was a it was a great action. Overall, it was a, a lot of good stuff going on. Um, was that the first major studio Marvel movie? It, yes. yes. I know there were Marvel movies before it, but it was like the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. 
there was like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four that was never meant to see the light of day. And then also was the um uh, the uh, Duff uh, um who was the uh, the Hulk. Uh, Lou Frigno. Lou Frigno, but that was a TV series yeah. and a couple TV movies. The funny thing is, though, they, they never... That was before Marvel Film Studios was even oh, yeah. open. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, so like I, and the opening titles, like, it doesn't say Marvel. You know, I think... It, it's not... It might be there in modern releases, but in the old releases, I don't believe that was I think there. it says that in the opening titles based on a Marvel uh, comic. Yeah. But it doesn't say, like... And it doesn't have, like, an actual... Uh, uh, but, yeah, and that... I. I think that is the first major studio Marvel movie. I want to say the first movie to actually ever incorporate the Marvel logo the way it was, was Spider-Man. I don't think X-Men did it. Okay. I think it was Spider-Man that actually started off with the uh, you know the Marvel intro logo thing. That would probably Where the comics sense. are flashing over the letters and then you get Marvel. Because um, then the web would just come out. God, that intro was great. But yeah, overall it was, it was it's, it's a great story, great plot. Um, great action, um, overall a solid, solid movie. Uh, you know, and actually, um, you know, I've watched it. I watched it recently, and I'm like, this is actually really good. Like, I love all the action of it, but the plot is is really good. Um, about Frost, you know, coming back, the the changing in the guard and the vampire stuff. They get into the vampire religion a little bit, um, and and, and actually too, and just Blade is an overall character. Just he's, he's just a sarcastic, bitter prick. What did you think of the sequels? Um, I, you know what, I saw only parts of, of two, and I, and I kind of, I got that, I'm pretty sure it turned off three. The, um, I think three got a little loopy, you know, a little loopy for me. Yeah, like, I remember enjoying two, like, I really like the makeup effects in two. Well, but I mean, Guillermo del Toro, what do you expect? Of course. Um, and then I never saw three, but I actually have a little film reel of the trailer for Blade 3. Oh, God. Yeah. The, um, it's just Ryan Reynolds trying to be Deadpool. Like it, it, it's it, the early stages. It's a failed attempt at Deadpool. Like until he actually gets what he wants. He's been trying to get it for years, and he finally achieved it. And finally got it. it never it, give up on your dreams. Yeah, ever. Um, so that's one lesson, kids. Never give up. If you want to be Deadpool when you grow up, just keep keep doing it. And have you ever have you watched the new uh, TV series? I have we do in the shadows? not. Oh, uh, what we do in the shadows? Yeah, I've seen the original. Uh, uh, the original one. This is a lot better than. And the movie, I, I, you know what's so funny? And I actually enjoyed the movie. I think it's quirky humor. Yeah, like, I, I think the movie has good bits, but I think it works better as a TV series. Oh, of course. Because it's like, you can focus, like, each half hour episode can actually focus on something. Mm. And it's brilliant. But there's one episode where they have to go up in front of the Vampire Council. Oh, and they have all these actors who have played famous vampires in movies before playing the Vampire Council. So you've got Tilda Swinton in there. You've got Evan Rachel Wood. You've got Danny Trejo. Uh, you've got Paul Rubens. Nice. And then over Skype, you have Wesley Snipes, <laughs> who plays a daywalker. And then there are all these other vampires in the council that couldn't make it, like Kiefer or Rob oh or Brad God. and Tom. They couldn't make it. Oh, that's great. Um, like, it was so brilliant. It's so fucking great. Um, yeah, but overall, Zach... I think you're gonna take what I what I'm gonna take, and if you don't, this, I'm this taking it. This better be the one that I think it is. I, if, if, I skipped it. For no, nothing. no, no, no. If if he doesn't take it, I will take it because I know exactly what you're thinking. I'm just, I'm just debating whether or not I want to be a dick right now. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, Van Helsing. Damn it, Zach. <laughs> no, I'm fucking so with you. So what I love no, no. about Van Helsing. <laughs> okay, we're gonna continue with this. Took the classic Universal <laughs> monsters and. 
Hugh Jackman fought the... I don't know. I tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies nothing's and gentlemen, happening. That was... Nothing's happening. Something about a map. <laughs> I, the best thing about Van Helsing was Universal Sun's excuse to remaster the classic Universal monster movies onto DVD. That's what, sure. That's what got them to Z- do that? Zach, go ahead. All right. From Dusk Still Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> the, um, uh, I, it was literally my number one. I, I saw it. I'm like, I'm a fucking moron for not not, not remembering this. Because I was so hooked on Blade. All right. The, the Tale of Three Teaches. Who, what the fuck is not to like? It's, it is a, it's a Tale of Three Teaches. It, it teach, it teach plays three separate roles in this fucking movie. The, and, and nobody bats an eye. <laughs> and nobody says shit for years. So for everyone that hasn't seen Nestle so we What have, are you doing with your life? Stop this. Well, go first, watch the damn first movie. First of all, go watch the movie. Yeah. It, it, it's awesome. It, it is it, it's it is hands down it's probably one of the best vampire movies ever. Oh, totally. I, I, um and also too, half of it's not a fucking vampire yeah, movie. Like it's the first half is Spoiler alert right now. I'm just. I can't. We already said it's a vampire movie. I know. You can't get much more spoiler than that. I know, but I can't. It's 2019. If you haven't seen this movie, nor do you not know it's a fucking vampire movie, movie. you have a serious problem. You need to go see this movie. But yeah, so we've got Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney playing brothers. Um, Gecko brothers. That already right there is just one hell of a combination. And And, and arguably one of the best opening scenes ever. And they're trying to get to Mexico. They pretty much kidnap a family consisting of a recently widowed retired preacher. Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel. His daughter, Juliette Lewis. And his adopted son. Some kid. (laughs) Some kid. Um... And yeah, so they get they enlist the preacher to and his. Um, By the way, I checked that kid's IMDb. Yeah. He was only in like an episode of Buffy. Okay, like that's it. Um, well, but yeah, that explains that connection. They uh, go across the Mexican border and they pretty much spend the night at this bar that's open all night. Titty wait, twister, waiting for um, their business partners. The, the other, the, the other teach. Yep. The, um, but little do they know, vampires. It's a vampire day. you have Tom Savini in there. Um, yeah, Three Cheeches is Mark. Okay, so... And then, and then, okay, so here's the thing. Quentin Tarantino wrote the screenplay for this. Robert Rodriguez directed it, uh, but Tarantino wrote the screenplay based on a story idea from Robert Kurtzman of KNB effects fame. Um, so Tarantino wrote it, all right? And if you look at his movies... You know he's got a thing for feet. He does. And there's, there's a scene. There's some shit in some feet. And there is a scene in From Dusk Dawn with a stripper dancer, Salma Hayek, wearing a boa constrictor Ooh. around her neck. And she freaking jams her foot down Tarantino's mouth oh and God. pours wine down her leg into his mouth. It's amazing. He is the one who wrote this. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's all right. But no, no. Like, I, I understand. I, I understand. The the man's obsession. me. The man's obsession with feet is legendary. Look, foot fetishes are apparently a thing. Get over it. There's nothing we can do about it. But no, still, it's still, it's still one of my. He fa- wrote that for his own character, though. Dude, you can't ignore that. It's still one of my favorite jokes from Honest Trailers about Die Hard and everything else. It's like. 
a movie about a, 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 you know a, a feet stuff, which is either a, a foot fetish's wet dream or the worst nightmare, or an evil, even weirder t- Tarantino level foot fetish. We are not here to judge. The um, fair. The um, well, the man is a foot fetish. It, I don't know. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. It's an observation at best. Um, in by the way, tale of three cheeses. So, t- um, Cheech plays three roles in this. He plays a uh, a guard at the Mexican border, mm-hmm. a police officer at the Mexican border, um, who runs into what's your face in the bathroom, Juliet Lewis. Juliet Lewis, and then shuts the door. And then, and then he also is a uh, um one of the guys with a very large. Uh, mustache and very pronounced eyebrows. Who is the? I call him the Pussy Man, because um, he tells about how there's a lot of pussy in this particular club, and he also lists off the different types of pussy that you will encounter in the, in such club, in said club. Now, is that written or is that improvised? I I can only you know what, either one would not surprise me. Either one, because it's Tarantino. It's so like Tarantino and Cheech. And Cheech. So, like, I don't know. You tell me, buddy. I have no idea if this is improvised or actually written. You giving me a suspense? No, I'm asking you. No, I have no idea. Like, it, n- neither one of... It, and, it, I was going to say, be, you're the Wikipedia page on Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Um, sure. We'll go with we'll, we'll go with that. But, um, and then he also turns into a vampire and then gets and then gets taken out. Um, uh, the, uh... <laughs> I'm pissing them off right now. Mark um, keeps playing with stuff and it's making noise. The, uh, I keep taking her away from him. No. Uh, and then he also plays um, uh, George Clooney's contact at the very, very end, um, who shows up just in the nick of time <laughs> to blow holes in the club when there's sunlight in there, which proceeds to my favorite movie line so all the vampires of all time. Up. time. And then they run out, and then the whole club blows up like a Power Rangers explosion in the background. By the way, nobody ever says that it randomly blows up. But the um, uh, he George Cooney proceeds to punch Cheech in the face, um, because uh, uh, obviously he's very angry. Everyone's dead except him and and, and um, Juliet Lewis. Lewis. I, I don't know why. Um, and Cheech asks him, he's like, hey, hey, like everyone's dead. He's like, what were they psychos? It's like Cheech, psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. They were vampires. And that was it. That was the line. It's, yeah. it's a great fucking movie. It's an absolutely great movie. Um, I cannot recommend it anymore. Zach, anything you want to add on to from Death of Dawn? It was awesome. I just liked it. The, uh, yeah. I, I like Tom Savini's sex machine. <laughs> it's just a fucking pistol. I also <laughs> like how he turns into the biggest fucking vampire as well. Yeah, he does. It's just like, whoop. Oh, okay. <laughs> Doesn't he also turn into a giant like rat or ver- or vermin of some kind as well? Either way, he changes into the biggest creature in the movie. Yes, and he, it, it's like the transformation just slowly happens, and he's covering up parts of him, and then he throws somebody into the door, and then he turns around. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Overall, a great movie. Um, a fantastic cast. Well written. Um, the effects were great. Um, Back it, in the days of practical, when people it, had to give a damn. In, indeed, um, but just all raw. Just, just fucking see it, see it, see it, see it. I remember uh, the first time I saw it I was in middle school. My brother just came home one day and he had the box saying, "It was like Brandon, I'm showing this to you." Uh, and this was after he introduced me to Kill Bill Volume One. I am so sorry. Um, 
So and I, and after Pulp Fiction, so I was already interested in Tarantino, and I saw that. Oh, okay, this is a Tarantino movie. You've got my attention. I had no idea had vampires going in. Like it's just like no one you're did. watching this. <laughs> no I, one did. I want to know how little Brandon reacted to the foot thing. I didn't. Because he didn't realize it until later on. That's disappointing. And I was like 13 when I saw the movie at first. This is weird. (laughs) Oh, God. uh, Tarantino and his foot fetish. It is something. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. All right, so uh, did we miss any vampire movies? Um, We pretty much covered on everything. We covered all the major ones. Yeah. I don't know. Did Um, anybody like Queen of the Damned? Not really. Interview with a vampire? I did. I I wouldn't really I enjoy it, but I really don't remember that much it, of it. I I actually I had I saw it on the list, but I really was going to add it as a, as a horror movie per se. Like it's a vamp, it's a good vampire movie. It's more of a drama. So I guess we're not I'm, doing that favorite, Eddie Murphy movie. Like my favorite thing about Interview with a Vampire was in Bowfinger. Steve Martin talks about how Tom Cruise didn't realize he was in that vampire movie <laughs> until years Cruise. later. <laughs> The uh, oh god the boar finger uh, Tropic Thunder before is Tropic Thunder, um, uh, you know honestly there's only one scene that's actually really like heartbreaking and almost horrifying, is when they put Kirsten uh, uh, Dunst and and then the other lady in that fucking um, uh, um, open well and then when the sun actually comes up and they turn into dust, um, it's it's actually very disturbing yeah. um, uh, and um, dramatic but. The original 1985 Fright Night is enjoyable. I also enjoyed the mm. Colin Farrell remake. Um, Love at First Bite. Uh, <laughs> really? The, the, these kids and their mother is dating Dracula. Uh, Once Bitten with Jim Carrey. Oh my god. Yep. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah, Jim Carrey and his character's virgin blood that this female vampire needs to feed on. Uh, yeah, that was a thing. What was the one about the date? What was that called? Love at First Bite. Oh, okay. You ever see it? No, I never saw it. But there's, it's like actually a, pretty darn enjoyable. There's there's literally a knockoff movie. I was going to say, is that a Disney movie? The, the, no. the Disney no. sounds like... There was, was a knockoff say, movie that I was going to say, that did. sounds like a Disney movie. The, the, Dis, the Disney Channel actually did a knockoff movie called um, um, a date, uh, My Mom date, uh, is Out of Date with a Vampire. That one surprised me one Something bit. like that. I was going to say, like that, that. I, I feel like I've seen a commercial for that somewhere and that doesn't sound like a good idea. Well, maybe the idea is good, but Disney's doing it, so it's probably not no, good. The first bite was totally made by somebody who really enjoyed the classic Universal movies. Like, the Renfield and Love at First Bite is completely based off of the Renfield in the 1931 Bela Lugosi Dracula. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a very enjoyable vampire comedy. All right. Nice. Okay. Nice. I'd love to check that out. And then everything, nearly everything else I have, like I probably mentioned last week during our monster movies, like we have Dracula as the main villain in Monster Squad. We have Guillermo del Toro as the strain. Um, I guess we should briefly mention Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman. Hey, I, I mean, Gary Oldman was fantastic. I mean, there's three movies that are pretty much just, you know, cliche. It's that Nosferatu and then, of course... Dracula. Yeah, which I mean, the that that Dracula looks amazing. Oh, it does. Like uh, everything was done in camera. Every visual effect was done in camera, which is um, using, amazing. Like some of them were used. Uh, some of the effects were done using projectors. Um, like th- there's a scene with uh, the journal 
covering up half the screen, and then you see the carriage going off on the, on the land in the background. That wasn't done in post. That was, they actually had a journal in front of the lens and a projector doing the carriage scene. So it's like everything in that movie was done in camera, and it's amazing. The movie itself is a little long. Okay. To put it mildly. Oh, and we have Keanu Reeves in it. Um, <laughs> you are Dracula. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, Keanu Reeves is a fine actor. He did not need to be in Dracula. Oh, my God. By the way, I watched I watched that Netflix movie um, the other night. Uh, this is completely off topic, but um, what the fuck was it called? Um, it, it's... Uh, I don't know. What oh, is it called, Mark? What's it called? It's uh, definitely, like, definitely maybe, or... Um, it With Ryan Reynolds? No, no, not Ryan Reynolds. Ryan uh, Reynolds is in a vampire movie? That's no, not Blade? Definitely maybe is Ryan Reynolds from a comedy. Oh, the, what the... F- yeah, I know which one that is. Where he was like a fat teenager. No, that was just Friends. Oh, okay. What the hell was the one you're talking about? Uh, it's just generic 2000s romantic comedy. He was in a lot of those back then. Yeah. Huh. And then he became Deadpool. And now he's just Deadpool in every movie he's in. Yep, pretty much. Did anybody see Detective Deadpool yet? No. No, <laughs> um, no it's... Um, all, I see what you did there. It's a, it's, it's a stupid um, uh, romantic comedy I was watching the other day because it was bored. It's always, always be my maybe. And there's she literally dates Keanu Reeves. Okay. And, it, and it's Keanu Reeves playing Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Reeves. Oh, that's awesome. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Wait, uh, I know what movie you're talking about. Is this with the... What the hell are the... Um, the two Asian, yeah, the two Asians, yeah. and everything else. Um, um it, it's it, but she dates Keanu Reeves. Wes was telling me about this. He said it was very meh. It, it is very meh, but when like Keanu Reeves shows up playing Keanu Reeves, only it's, it's opposite Keanu Reeves. He's it, just a complete dick. Oh yeah, it, oh my god, he's a huge douche, but it's great. He, they they eat food and listen to the food that they're eating. Yes. Like, oh, it's amazing. And then um, he actually snuck this in in between productions for John Wick uh, three. Wow. He didn't sleep for five days to play this part. Well, I mean, it's only like a, not even a quarter of the movie. I no, mean, not I mean, even small. like two, three scenes. And yeah. else, but he's amazing. <laughs> he's such a douchebag. He's just like, I get to play a prick? That's a new feeling. Let he me li- try that. He literally walks in with glasses. He's like, he's like oh, I'm not wearing, I, I don't actually wear glasses. These are just for a role. Look, they don't even have lenses in them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> Oh, it, it was like it was like um uh, um this is the end when they all yeah. played versions of themselves. Oh, that, that's so great because like you hear stories about Keanu Reeves, and it's like I, I I'm sure that was probably, like performance wise and f- as far as becoming as somebody who is not you, that role sounds like it might be his best performance. Oh, I'm sure it's it's a blast. I was gonna say nobody can say that man cannot act. Yeah, you ever see Skinner Darkly? feel like i have that's that rotoscoped yeah, yeah. um oh, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna take a quick temperature in just a second um uh, fa- a quick temperature favorite keanu reeves movie go ahead go it's matrix scared ugly matrix i i fucking love the um, Matrix. It's, it's gotta be speed for me like it's that's one of my favorites how'd you feel about speed too uh what how'd you feel about <laughs> speed reading uh no from, from the critic <laughs> no <laughs> You gotta read this book at least fifty words per minute, or else it explodes. What? One. Whoa. Oh, two. 
Boom. <laughs> the uh, oh, that's so great. Uh, that is fantastic. Anyway, um, any more vampire movies, gents? I don't know. We haven't talked about a vampire movie in a while now. I, th- so. I think we're all tapped on vampire movies. I'm gonna do my uh, my question of the podcast, um, uh, which is always my favorite part. I actually gave these gentlemen a opportunity to think about my question beforehand, um, but um, I'm definitely gonna hear what they have to say. Uh, my question of the day is: What is your favorite horror movie score? Of Phantasm. Phantasm. Why? So it's that synthesizer score. Um, it's kind of similar to Halloween's score, but I like Phantasm's score more because I feel like it has a bit more escalation to it. Okay. And it's just so creepy. And like, there's also a metal cover of the theme as well that you can find out there, of course. Um, yeah, I love it. But no, it, it's just, I, I really like the Phantasm movies and the score is like half of the character of those movies and it just every scene that's in it works nice and like I said it's, I don't know it, it just perfectly encapsulates the feeling of those movies nice nice I did and dig as and when I think of favorite scores I try to think of some that I would listen to in my normal rotation of like when I'm writing and listening to music the phantasm theme is probably the horror theme that I listen to the most. Okay. Like, it's a regular rotation in the music that I listen to. Nice, nice. All right. Zagamus. For me, it's a tough choice between the Hellraiser theme and Nightmare on Elm Street theme. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, the Nightmare on Elm Street theme is absolutely more iconic, but the Hellraiser theme has a sort of elegance to it that is just very amusing and nice to listen to. And it you just... don't really get uh, many movies with the Hellraiser theme. No. I, I was going to say... It's it, very... It, it, it's funny because they, they use the theme in Spider-Man 2. When the... <laughs> That's... What, what odd place to put that. When Doc Ock's power of the sun is fucking up, this theme actually starts playing for like a good minute or so, and then it cuts off. I'm just... Because I remember I was listening to it, and I'm like, where the fuck have I heard this before? And it clicked. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> well, when I saw The Hateful Eight on opening night in that uh, horse carriage is... Um, the stagecoach is going by. I'm just like, where did I hear this music before? Oh, right. Exorcist 2. <laughs> Exorcist 2? Okay. I don't even remember that one's theme. Uh, you're better off. Yeah, no, not many people do. I remember the first one. Everybody remembers the yeah, first the one. First one's yeah, amazing. I'm sure they do. <laughs> the um, my, So, but those were your ties up? Yeah. Um, The Friday the 13th themes, there's a good chunk of them that are good. They're, <laughs> Friday the 13th Part 3 is the best. That credit theme. The freaking disco music. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, Brandon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know you're going to have to put links in the description below, right, buddy? I have not been taking notes. Oh, you're going to have to go back and listen and find out. It's going to be bad. It's going to be awkward. you have to do that. Hey, he doesn't have anything else to do. He doesn't have a job. <laughs> I have a job some days. Yes, kind of. Yeah, keyword some days. There's a reason we give him all the web work. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Zachamus, is that it? Was it are those your final answers? Yeah, it, it's definitely a tie between Hellraiser and uh, Nightmare. Nice. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. The um, uh, I know for me though, it's it's definitely gonna be uh, um, Jaws and Halloween. I was gonna say, can we really let You're you choose those? You f- um, 
the um because of course Jaws is the best, and but... then, and also the the uh, I'll add one more in there though because I think it really does set the mood is Psycho. Yeah. Okay. Um, the original Psycho. Um, I think that there, there's nothing quite like that theme, um, especially for its time. Hey, you know, it puts you in, it sets you in that mood that's that's so 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 eerie, um, uh, especially when the, it hits that high pitch when if when she's actually getting stabbed, um, it puts you in another another place altogether, um, uh, and I think a good runner up though would probably be Poltergeist as well. Okay. Um, that's a re- oh, okay. that's a really really um uh, creepy one. There's so many good ones. I'm a huge I like something that I probably never said on this podcast. I'm a massive score fan i love film scores um i'm i imagine that's probably a given yeah. for everybody here but um i'm a huge i'm a giant music fan and just as much as i am a film fan mm-hmm. so anytime i can combine those two worlds it's a pretty good day for me uh, man, we, I, have i ever introduced you to my friend justin yeah yeah, yeah. justin um i really got a chance to talk to him but i mean like, I, it's too bad we don't have him with us right now to talk about it's like he's got a massive vinyl collection of horror movie scores oh. and it's like literally every other day he's like i just ordered this one on vinyl and it's like some of the artwork on some of those oh it's gonna be tremendous is amazing um, i don't have the money for a collection like that yeah. otherwise i'd love to but no he, he's got some really good ones and he has those things constantly playing on loop as well always there's always one playing whenever you go into his place yeah the um and the the one too that you added on to was um uh, and is, which is crazy iconic is the first Exorcist, the theme yeah. from that one is just beyond iconic, um and another one that puts you I would like, say that's the first major iconic the uh, well, psycho psycho was first um ah. psycho was beforehand everything else especially that the one part of it's th- see that's the thing it's just one part no but, you know, I, I disagree. For me, it's mm. you know, but it, but also the same thing with the Exorcist. Like the first 10, 30, you know, ten to thirty seconds is very iconic, just the same as well. And then the rest of the, the rest of the theme just blends in with it. But I mean, like there are certain parts of these themes that are very very important. There's only I think Jaws and Halloween are the only ones that are pretty much consistently the same throughout the whole song. The, for the most part. For the most part. So I mean, you know. So I mean, uh, and for me, I, I like a little more variety in my scores. Correct. And Psycho definitely provides that. So does, yep. um, uh, so does most of that. You know, that error. Um, you know, Rosemary's Baby, The Omen. Um, uh, Rosemary's Baby's score was creepy. It's it's insanely creepy. What's the one that has the kids' voices? Is that the Poltergeist or is that which one is that? I think I think of the Omen. The Omen, yeah. It, it's and you go, uh, this is. Very disturbing. Which that's a movie that gets disturbing each time, more, more, more disturbing each time I see it. Like the first time I saw The Omen, I didn't really care for it. Now it's, uh, I think it's one of the best of the seventies. It's all for you, Damien. <laughs> when that bitch jumps off the off the balcony. <laughs> the um, I mean, it, it, the ending's more disturbing than anything else. Mm-hmm. The um, and you go, that motherfucker's still alive. <laughs> that's he's still running around. There was actually a book written shortly after the Owen came out, and it listed it as like it was a book called like the fifty worst movies ever made, and the Omen was one of them. It's Ooh, a, it's when, a, when you're really wrong and hmm. you find out decades later just how wrong you are. Well, you know though, it's funny how you you know it, you know what the funny thing is, um, Leonardo DiCaprio had actually a great quote. He says, "Best pictures 
should be released ten or five years after the film has been released. Yeah. To see how it actually holds up. Yeah. And there's some movies that hold up very, very well, and there's some movies that just do not. Remember The Artist? The fuck is that? Exactly. Or Slumdog Millionaire? I like Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, but but you're probably one of the very few people that remember it. Like, I don't remember it. I think I, I saw it once. I don't remember anything. What it was. The problem I mean, is most Oscar movies these days are just boring Oscar Bay movies. They're made just to get an Oscar with a certain criteria. Yeah. I They're mean, not entertaining but movies. But I, I don't think Green Book will really hold up. Like, Green Book is a fine movie, but is it Best Picture? I don't think so. I think, I think Green Book... I, Green Book kind of had a different... Like a different thing for me, um, uh, you know. I wonder why. I, you does know, it have to do with the I word? Yes, it does. Italian. I tell you, you know what? And, and <laughs> the funny thing is, I um, there's a couple times like I saw my my like my nana in, in those scenes, and a couple times I saw my dad in those scenes and everything else. I remember there's you know, there's a couple just great scenes in that in that movie when I go, wow, that's that that's a lot of my family there I really do want to see it I've seen a couple scenes it of it in the theater it really, it really is good you know, it, it, it looked like it was really mind blowing to me when I realized who the what the fuck's that um, actor's name again Guy David Mortensen yeah I'm just it's like, so much better than Driving Miss Stacy yeah no, it's good I, I just don't think I'm looking back like 10 years from now looking back we probably will probably be like really best picture was good but it's not Best picture. Out of all the other movies that came out? Yeah. Um, and I would have voted for Black Klansman out of those nine. Or I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to Black see it. Black Klansman was good. And Green Book, in all honesty, would probably be my number two pick. Like, I wasn't too fond of a lot of Best Picture nominees well, this past year. Well, none of those movies compared to the most underrated movie of the year. Mandy? Yep. It's a yeah. goddamn shame, that movie. Yeah, um, my, my top two from last year would probably be Mandy and Sorry to Bother You. Two very genre heavy movies. Whoo! Um, uh, sorry to bother you. Was uh, that was something? The um, uh, I was a uh, the best mind fuck I've ever been on. You know, I I, I enjoyed being on that. It's a movie coaster. where it's more funny to watch people watch. No, society's fun to, for people to watch. No, that's with. just a party right there. The um, That is a movie you just get a party of people who have no idea what the hell they're getting into and you're just playing. You're just just watch. Just enjoy the show. It's the quickest way to lose friends. No, it's the quickest it way to gain friends. Fucking Brandon sits there like like fucking Joker at the end of the movie. <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> the uh, he's not wrong. Still, um, ever tell you um uh, what one uh, movie critic has said as a compliment to his character, which I loved. Still, one of my favorite um character critique compliments. That. Um, Heath Ledger plays the Joker like the demented offspring of Alex from A Clockwork Orange. I see it. Yeah, and and I and I remember hearing that. And I'm like, wow, that's a really good fucking compliment, and it's very interesting. well put. Um, I'd say that's fair. But yeah, but sorry to bother you though. Was was something else, man? Holy shit! The um, I thought I was watching one movie, then I was watching another movie. And I was watching another movie, and then I went back again. The um, uh, it's um, I don't even want to start to explain that fucking movie. Holy shit! 
the um, that's a movie where if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Yeah, Let go, us know what you think. Yeah, just go watch it. It's like it, it's like trying to explain Cabin in the Woods to somebody like who hasn't seen it. When they, you know, and try not to spoil it. It's like just watch it. Just watch it. Go do it. Just watch it. Don't look up anything about it. Just watch it. The um, uh, but you're uh, ruining for yourself if you do. Yeah, yeah you really are. Yeah. For Such sure. a great movie. It's for sure. definitely one of the best horror movies of the decade, if not. So yeah, vampires. Uh, <laughs> what are vampires? The bloodsuckers. Bloodsuckers. Really? They don't sparkle in the in the moonlight anymore or Some sunlight, whatever. But then they burst into flame. Are you sure? I, I thought we extinguished unless that. they're wearing helmets. Unless they're wearing more, more no, no, no. motorcycle helmets with visors. No them. motorcycle helmets and leather and leather. Because that makes sense. <laughs> the, actually, that, that's pretty funny because they actually did that in an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. Nice. Like, uh, the female, the main female vampire turns a female college student into a vampire. And then she's the new, newly turned vampire. is like, I want to watch the sunrise. And the main vampire is like, oh, um, that's the thing. You can't do the sun ever again. Which is like, but now if we wear motorcycle helmets, that'll protect us. So then they're sitting on, on the roof wearing motorcycle helmets and the sun starts coming up and it was like, oh, oh God, we're burning. We're burning. <laughs> oh, I love Blade Man, but it's not, it's not without its plot holes and its other, and its That's other problems. That's three though. Yeah. No, no, that happened in one. Was it in one? That was in one when they kill one of the main vampires and their whole thing was, you were born a vampire, but we became vampires. So therefore, we can kind of get away with being in the sun for a little bit. Um, even even I went, and this is somebody who loves Blade. I went, really though? Could you? Apparently. I call bullshit. The, uh, I mean, it was kind of one of our famous, sure. <laughs> Fuck it. Sure. Sure. The, uh, sure that works. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, I think that, um, that we should move on, uh, move on to our, um, film production side of things. And since Zach has been the one who's talked the least, the last, this, the most of this episode, um, he gets talked the most because we're going to talk about post-production and that is Zach's, uh, expertise. Uh, so I will let him talk about, uh, some of the things he's been going with, with editing episode two. However, I, I wouldn't mind if you would talk a little bit about episode one, because you certainly had your fair share of issues. Hello. Hello. Hell. Shit, where do I start? Um, I, so, like, how, like what, what's your process? Like, how do you begin and edit? Organize. All right, what, what goes do you, into organizing? What do you, what do you call that? Uh, all right, so pretty much I organize everything into folders. Um... I will go by, so there's the scene, so scene one, I will go through every take, A take, B take, and all that, I will get all those put into their thing, and then I will look for the sound files, put those with them, so when as soon as I import everything into Premiere, what will happen is, everything will just be there ready for me, if I need that take, and I need that sound, it's all right there, I'm gonna fucking stab you two in a minute, I, I, I don't know how to talk louder, right there. What do you there mean? Go. There you go. You're talking louder. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's going to be auto-leveled anyway, so it's not like this matters. Well, now it doesn't, ass. Talk louder. It's just, I don't like talking. Oh, it's, it's not a fucking stage whisper. Like, talk louder. You can cut this out later. All right. Yeah. Um, what's it called? 
So you have the folders organized by scene and shot, you said? Yeah, so every, so yeah, I organize it scene, shot, and then I just put all those things into their categories. And then I just start from beginning to end. I like to organize in order. I know some people don't like to do that for reasons I'll never understand, but I, I just do it in order just for simplicity's sake. It helps me go by. I know some editors tend to like to work off storyboards. Others have the script right next to them. What's, how, how do you decide the order of the shots that you put them in? Well, like when you're doing a scene, not necessarily, like obviously scene one goes first and scene yeah. two. So I guess. deciding which angles to cut to in a scene. How, how do you decide? So when, when I pretty much um, I examine every shot. So every take I examine. All right, what do I like the most? What looks good? And then I'll just start experimenting with stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I don't use storyboards. Never have. I don't use script notes because one thing, everything I've edited for the most part has been my work. Um, I've edited a few other projects, but those projects were completely unorganized. And the fuck is going on over there? I think the cats are going rogue over there. Uh, the fluffy <laughs> little fuckers. The cats have gone rogue. Goddamn fluffies. Anyways, um, yeah, for the most part, I, I just organized in order. I look through um, each shot. I uh, kind of decide what I think is the best take for, uh, for the end, and I just kind of start cutting things together. It's really just as simple as that. So for uh, someone like Living Nightmares... Uh, when you gotta build tension, what's your process of building tension? Yeah, I guess it just depends on the scene. Um, uh, it depends on what it calls for, um, pacing, um, quickness. I, I I don't know. It, it just you just love playing with shit. I, that that time I actually wasn't meant to. It wasn't meaning to plug it in. Um, but yeah, I just I just mess with stuff until I get something that I like. I really don't have a process, at least that I can think of. I just mess with stuff, and when I come out with something I like, it's just like, all right, take a look at this. Let me see what you think. Mm -hmm. Usually my first time around is always my weakest, but it's my second time around where I'm just like, okay, now I know what the hell I'm doing. And that's when things usually come out the best. What were some of your biggest challenges with episode one in the post-process? The damn phone screen. The split screen? Yeah, the split screen thing. I thought that was going to be a simple just... You know, put this here, animate this, and yada yada yada, and it'll go well. No, I had to animate every little nick and cranny of that damn screen. Every and incoming I, text, every I didn't think text. that was going to be as annoying as it was, but it was just pretty much getting... I had to download Snapchat and actually look at it and organize it. Because one thing I tried to do to cheat it was just record myself doing the whole thing, just mm -hmm. to make it as super accurate as possible. That didn't work out well at all. Timing was just super fucking annoying. So I had no choice. I had to make every, animate everything from start to finish. I had to create the screen. I had to create the backdrop. I had to create everything from scratch. Icons, all that. And it was super fucking annoying. It's the reason why that episode took as long as it did. Because I did not expect that to take as long as it did. First week of December all the way till the first week of March. Yeah. All because of that damn screen. And then finding out there's a few other fix-our fuck-up <laughs> situations that we had to deal with. Like Thank when, you, Wes. Like when Wes spied the boom mic in one of the shots. I, it was a moving shot, too. I don't know how many times we screened this damn thing and none of us caught it. He was the only one. Only one! Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you were the one holding the mic, weren't you, Mike? I actually... You know what? That particular scene, I was not. That would be David. 
going to try to blame David on this the, one. Uh, David. I don't blame David. He's too nice. <laughs> no. There's that and he's a grip. That's not an excuse. Yeah. Get both. Yeah, I, I, you know what? He controls shit. Executive producer's prerogative, all right? <laughs> I, can, I can do that. Oh, <laughs> I love you, David. <laughs> um, I want to hear about your process for sound design because you're not a sound person at all but yet like you were literally the post-production person for everything on episode one um so what'd you put into the sound design i tried to make it as realistic as possible i tried to think all right what sounds would be going on at this point in time and i'm just like all right let's put it in there um wind rain minor footsteps uh the door opening and closing the handle the keys the chain um it's not like I'm not entirely not used to doing sound design because um, I did take a sound design class for like my last two quarters of college and Andy Alton, I believe his name was, he actually taught a really good course. Mm-hmm. Kirstage is a fucking moron. He didn't teach shit the two quarters I had with him, so fuck you. I'm sure he appreciates you calling him out by name. Um, It'll probably be cut, but anyways. Um, so for episode one, you took more of a realistic approach uh, with music added. I know some sound designers like to take a more abstract approach in creating the feeling using sound. And that's um, fair, but I'm not really experienced with that. I'm more, I, I just know how to create a realistic sound environment. That's all I really know how to do. As for creating an abstract, more, you know, something like out of Oculus or something like that, I don't know how to do that. Or like creating, what about creating tone with sound? Like, is that something you want to experiment with episode two? I wouldn't two, mind we, experimenting with it, but again, or I... Or are we going to take a more realistic approach again with episode two? Probably for now, just realistic, because that's, you know... I mean, I could experiment with it, mm-hmm. but as for tone... I don't know. Like, I I wanna, I'd like to see you experiment with it. It's one of those things where I just, as soon as I learn it, I'll be able to do it better. Like, I wanted... I wanted to try to learn scoring at some point, but that's that's a whole other fucking bargain and deal that I just I, I just don't have the time to learn right now. Yeah. I, I'm trying to my main focus is getting all my visual effects and directing skills done with. Those are my uh, two big things. The best way to learn something in this field is just watch the greats. Yep. Steal. Steal from them all. Yeah, the time. I just don't have a damn orchestra to take from, so <laughs> well, I'm not talking about score, but like sound design. Yeah. No, and that's that's another reason why I've been trying to keep up on watching more and more movies just so you don't know, get the feel of it, see what do they do. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Folks, it is really I, a trial by fire, man. I, it's, it's, this is why I don't really talk about my position that much because I don't know how to. It's one of those, I could just do it. I, I, I'm not a teacher. I can't teach you how to do something. I could just do it. You know, it's really that simple. You show me a visual effects problem, I'll be like, I don't know how to fucking explain it. You just put me at the computer and I'll figure it out for you. The uh, That's generally how I've gotten by in this industry. How would you solve this problem? I don't know. Give me a computer and I'll figure it out. The, uh, you know what? And sometimes it really is that simple. Um, uh, you know, I, I, Chris Walken had a great quote about a house, or excuse me, about acting. He said, it's, it's like building a house. It's like, just go build the fucking house. Like, you'll figure it out. You know, another example, like people, like, hey, what button was it, uh, how do you use your shield or do a super dodge roll? I don't fucking know. You give me the controller, I'll be able to tell you instantly. It's it's instinct. I I don't know it based off telling you. I have to do it. That's that's just how I do things. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, 
Um, the one thing too I wanted to talk about is that what is your expertise though? You know, when it comes to editing, I don't. You... When it comes to post production, visual effects is my absolute masterpiece. Like I know more about visual effects than I do editing, sound design, all that. Explain a little bit what about what visual effects actually is and what what that entails. Well, for me, it's uh, the digital side of uh, visual effects. So, um, you know, compositing things onto live footage. So if you want to make lightning happen, but you couldn't figure out a way to, uh, you know, get it done on set, you give it to me. I'll add some lightning to your fingers and shock the shit out of somebody for you. Uh, if you're, I don't know, you want a flaming skull that's on fire and you want me to replace it with your head, I can do that. To a degree, if you set up properly, that is. Or do you want to replace your skin with a glowing blue aura of electricity? I can do that. I've done it before and I'll do it again. Um. That whole Sin City effect where all the color is removed except for one. I've learned how to do that. That's a fun effect. I can do that. I can do a whole bunch of cool effects. I just, you know, need to have a reason to do them. I've got a question for you. Hmm. Okay, so... And we've been working together for about a year now. Yeah. Um, there was that one shoot that we... That actually took place in this apartment. And we had to create a makeshift green screen out of some green fabric. It was wrinkled because I didn't have time to wash it and iron it. Uh, it was actually two strips. We actually had to tape them together. So there's this line, this seam in the middle of it. Um, but the way that I lit it and everything, it was a very easy key. I think you told me it was the easiest key you'd ever done. All I had to do was just key out the green and everything was done for me. There was no grain. There was no extra, you know, um, artifacting. It was, it was all just gone. So, Never in my life if I had that. I guess before. I have a two-part question here. Um, so obviously a lot of what makes your job easier is if like somebody like me does their job right yeah. on set. I, honestly, um, if... So, are, so I guess what are some visual effects experiences, experiences you've had where you've had to do an effect but, somebody, but like the footage wasn't up to par? What what's something that you had to so, basically fix somebody's like with us we don't fix it in post we finish it in post like, yeah we discuss beforehand what's going to be on set and what's actually going to be done in post it's not fixing it if you know you're going to be doing it from the start it's like what are some times where you've actually had to fix it in post and why and was it challenging why why not so and, there and, was by, this, and by the oh. way folks we have a quote um a quote in this saying that floats around our production is the only person that can actually say i'll we'll fix it in post is zach he's the only one that's allowed to say it because he actually does in fact fix things in post um but don't say we'll fix it in post on our set without getting a dirty look from zach or me well yeah i mean you know well the uh, but usually you'll get you, a dirty look from Brandon. You'll get a stab in the throat from me. Fix it in post. That means I didn't do something right. <laughs> this is true. This is very very true. Um. Uh, so that being said, with both of those comments, go ahead, man. So one of the things off the top of my head, somebody shot this stuffed animal on a green screen. They mm -hmm. wanted to key it. They wanted to put it on a footage. One problem was they didn't have a plate. Okay. You know, one thing you always want to do, you always want to have your plate prepared. That's one of the first things you should do before you actually, you know, shoot, you know, on your green screen so you can get lighting adjusted and everything like that. And the plate is the background. Yeah, sorry, the and plate is the background. You want to know what your plate's going to be beforehand because then you can have your DP of the day have the lighting match as well. Exactly. 
So another problem was the quality of this footage was bad. Define bad. So it was very artifacty, very pixelated. Um, so you know, very you could, compressed. Yeah, you know, you could still tell what the image was and everything, but when it came to keying out that stuffed animal, it was a goddamn nightmare. I had to do more masking than anything, and even then, it still looked fuzzy on the edges, and there was little to nothing I can do about it. Most likely, eight bit color footage, probably. Yeah, it also yeah. didn't help that the damn thing was blue shot on a green background. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, another thing you should always take into consideration, um, if you're shooting on a green screen, blue and green are a big fat no. How do, you, how do you think they felt on the set for the first Spider-Man movie? You had Spider-Man's costume, which has a lot of blue on it, and then you got the Green Goblin's costume, which is nothing but green. Look, Sam Raimi knows what he's doing, alright? <laughs> at least really good at pretending also, he does. he had a budget. These people did not. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. So, uh, a friend of mine at school, he went to go shoot in the green room, and he had a green shirt on. You can already <laughs> see where the problem is. Came to me for help. There's nothing I can do. Uh, somebody I know, I don't know how they fucked this up so badly. They went to the green room, turned off... All the lights, so it looked completely dark around okay. the actress. Still got green spill on the girl. Mm -hmm. And wanted me to key out the black background. Hmm. Good luck. So what's, uh... Pretty much I was... I don't know what's green spill. Oh, so green spill is when you're shooting on green screen and the light pretty much bounces the green screen and makes your subject look green and when you key out the green it's also going to key out that part and it's going to make your it's subject on the edges of your subject. it's always on the edges hell it could sometimes even be on the face cheeks very reflective parts of your body mm -hmm. so especially if you got somebody who's bald their scalp is going to be a fucking green glow zone so yeah. and that's why you want to put as much distance uh between the green screen and your subject as possible yeah it's a pain um, in the ass but you gotta yeah. do what you gotta do. Actually, that's why you yeah. try... If you can avoid full body shots, do that. Yeah. Um, that's actually why... Um, for Avatar, because, you know, that movie is basically nothing but green screen. It was a green screen. Um, so, for uh, for areas where, some, where like a prop or something was gonna be too close, they actually used uh, retroreflective material. To uh, counteract the uh, green spill. Yeah, if you can afford that, yeah. then so that's absolutely a way to go. Yeah, so basically, um, the rule of thumb that I've picked up on, like, I, I really haven't done that many green screen shoots, but I'm constantly researching because I know that I'm going to hit a time where I'm going to be doing them. Especially if you're working with me, I'm going to require yeah. it at some point. Like, I, um, di I did a lot of them in school to try to get as much experience with it as possible. Yeah. But one of the biggest problems with the green screen at school is nobody maintained that thing. No, nobody it was filthy. But yeah. No matter how well you shot that, you'd always have a problem just because there's a slight brown spot in the background. You'd always have to mask that out in particular. And ugh, it's a goddamn nightmare. But yeah, the, um, the rule of thumb that I've kind of picked up on is if you're able to put distance between your subject and the green screen, use an actual green screen. Whereas if you're not going to have that much space, use retroreflective material. If you can afford it. It yeah. will save you a lot of time in post. And your post guy will love you. Yes. Yeah. 
It's literally the difference between your post guy going, oh, okay, this is nice and easy, or your post guy going, these motherfuckers! <laughs> which I've heard. Which I've heard come from from his room. Um, uh, so I do have a question as well for, for some of those the younger filmmakers out there or the people who are just starting up. Um, what are some editing softwares that are decently cheap that if they want to start learning this process or if they've already filmed content and they have nobody else they can lean on to be an editor and they have to figure out how to do this them, this themselves. The best tool out there, in my opinion, at least for visual effects people, is the Adobe Creative Cloud. And there goes a cat. You know, you get Premiere and After Effects, Photoshop and Illustrator, which are some of your key ingredients. The main one you need is After Effects because that's where all the magic happens. And I mean, that one's just the most affordable because with After Effects, the base package, you get... um. You get um, what the hell is it called? Mocha, which is a great motion tracking soft motion tracking software. It isn't the full thing, but it's enough to get you going. Cinema 4D Lite, I think they're on R19 or 20 right now. I can't remember. And that's uh, a 3D software, so you can learn basic 3D modeling and you know 3D environments. It's 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 a lot of hard work, but it's it's still something. And then um. You know, Illustrator, so you can make vectors, start making graphics and stuff like that. Pretty much, if you just want to get a good start, Adobe Creative Cloud is your best bet. Anything else, uh, you're going to be paying a pretty penny for a lot of those other softwares. And there is a free version of DaVinci Resolve, so if, and that's an editing software. It's an editing software, so sure, but that's mainly for color grading. That's not yeah. really for visual effects. Yeah, and I do believe they did create like a, an after effects equivalent uh, and i'm not a post guy so i don't really know that much about it yeah and i don't know. do much color i do yeah. very basic color so but i do know that um if you if money's an issue with you you can get resolve for free for editing and color grading yeah resolve is free um, i think there's a version of sony vegas that's free now i'm not 100 percent sure uh, you can always get started where I got started, Windows Movie Maker, if anybody remembers that tool. <laughs> I do. The, yeah, that brings me back. Um, that in, uh, in iMovie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if, if you're just doing editing, there's free software out there. Is it great? God, no. But it's still something to get you editing and, uh, you know, just starting off. I mean, we, we all got to start somewhere. But, you know, if you have a little bit of money you can spare every month, especially if you're a student, the Creative Cloud is absolutely your best bet. You get a plethora of tools that are very valuable. So the main two are going to be uh, Premiere and After Effects. Nice, nice. And then, you know, what's one or two pieces of advice that you give to beginner filmmakers, you know, that are not on the post side, but they're actually on the production side? The DPs, the directors, and everything else, you being the post guy, what's one thing you know, or two I things you can say? I actually have one piece of advice, and this goes back to green screen, to shooting green screen. Um, make sure you light the green screen evenly. Uh, use your waveform monitor, and you want it, you want your green screen to be around 45 IRE on your waveform monitor. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the waveform monitor is like a graph that you bring up on your monitor and it shows you the exposure from zero to 100 percent where everything is in your frame so you'll be able to see like what's been clipped what's been crushed um basically you see the percent the, the percentage of brightness that your image is at essentially um 
so yeah, it's and zero percent is black, one hundred percent is white, and so you want your green screen around forty-five. Which, if you ever look at like the Simpty color bars, which are those color bars that you know we use for calibrating, you know, they're the color bars. You know what they are. Um, if you look at the green for that, that's somewhere between forty-five and fifty IRE, and say so yeah, that's just a good shade of green to use so yeah light your green screen for 45 ire uh put as much distance between your subject and your green screen as possible to avoid green spill and if you're like me and you don't have that many lights on you um like for me i just have a couple of lights so what i do is um and I've really only shot green screen for insert shots, so two lights with a green screen has been enough for me. Have those lights behind your subject um, as well, and um, that way you have space to actually light your subject separately from the green screen. Don't try to light your green screen and your subject with the same lights. All right. Very, very cool. The uh, Zach, any, any advice or... You know any any notes that you want to give to any beginning filmmakers? You know somebody that may not you know is just starting out and are kind of experimenting with things. Any advice you would give being a post person? Yeah, them? take production seriously. If you can avoid fixing it in post, do that because it, one, it's going to look a lot better, and two, there are some things you may think can be fixed in post, like removing a jeep from behind a window during a piece. That is supposed to take place during the 1950s. I would like to hear that story. Uh, no, 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 I'm not going to talk about that. Or removing a lav mic because your camera operator refused to say anything for some bloody reason. I'll never understand why, but yeah, that poor guy. Anyways. Yeah, so so the biggest advice just you take production seriously cuz all all that's going to do is cost you time and money mainly money cuz these people aren't going to do this for free that's for damn sure post is it is meant to enhance your work and not fix your work yeah there's a reason i called my production fix your fuck up productions really that's all the, that's all the work i was getting for the longest time it was super <laughs> annoying the, uh, there's nothing artistic. It just you know, just just like I can make a fucking flaming skull, and you're having me. Rem- Zach's very upset about this. <laughs> Zach, Zach wants to be creative, but Zach also doesn't. You know, gets jobs where people you know fix. Oh, you just fix my mistake. You want me to put that screen on your phone? Sure. Okay. Okay. Why couldn't you do that practically? Oh, we didn't think about it at the time. Oh, really? Isn't that something? Isn't that special? The uh, so yeah. Um, so Zach, any other final notes on the wonderful world of post? Not that I can think of. All right, Brandon. Yeah, it's plan ahead. Yeah. Like the more you like, if you're able to incorporate your post production team into your pre production, hell yeah. So that way you know what should be safe for post production, what shouldn't be. Like, really figure... Like, pretty much, if you can do it practically, do it practically. Because yeah. it's all... Um, nine times out of ten, it's going to look a lot better. Yeah. Don't be one of those directors who basically 
wants their post-production to be able to fix their vision for them. Yeah, tr- trust um, me, for the longest time, I wanted to do everything CGI because it's just like, oh, I could do everything myself. CGI is awesome. I don't need other people for that. Yeah, and it's going to look like shit. <laughs> CGI is good, but the amount of work you need to make it look photorealistic, you, n- nobody on our level is going to be able to do that. Hell, Terminator, Godzilla, Pacific Rim, those had billion-dollar budgets. They weren't billion well, either but way. They, they, they had a lot of money and a lot of people working on them. Yeah. And time. But, here's the thing to consider, but here's the thing to remember, too. Even those big budget movies, they still have a cap on their budget. Uh, microphone down. Yep, sorry. But here's the thing. They also know what they're going to put. Like, Pacific Rim yeah. got the first Pacific Rim and Godzilla, Kong. And, but no, that, that also goes back yeah. to planning it. Exactly. Like, everything was planned or even terminator genesis that arnold schwarzenegger copy it's one of the most photorealistic humans there is on t- screen like damn near pinpoint accurate also tarkin was awesome sure um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on um i the one thing Mark, that anything for i was I, I i was Especially if you're doing, you know, if you're starting to do posts yourself and you're starting to experiment with other things and you have a piece of work that you're working on and everything else, have more people watch it. Um, get a group of people that you trust and everything else. Have, you know, going back to the conversation that we had when, when Jeff was on about having producers on your sets and everything else, you know, it's important to have other voices there because you're going to be watching the same fucking thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. There's and that, and you're also going to see all the mistakes. They may not. Correct. And then, and also, and that's also vice versa, too. What I was going to say is when you're watching things over and over, there may be things that you're going to miss that other people will catch. Thank you, Wes. Thank, thank you, Wes. Thank I was going to say, though, one problem I've run in more often than not is it's like I, I, you know you fixed a problem. You can see it. You know where that patch is. You know where that smudge is. You know where that like bolt is. Whatever. Yes, you, your eye is going to go. It, it's like you always know what's there. So you have to have somebody watch it a hundred times before. A few people watch it a hundred times before you're just like, no, we can't see it. Like there's a fix I did at the very, like throughout the first edit of uh, Snapchat Nightmare. I fixed two or three things. Nobody ever noticed or questioned it throughout the entire viewing, and I still refuse to tell anybody what those fixes were. Is that including us? Yeah. So there are things that you fix that you and Mark and I don't know. Nope. Yeah. Well. Okay. All right. All right. Minor details that everybody thought was just part of the shoot day. Things just happened naturally. That's when you know you did your job well. When you fix something or added something and nobody can tell you fixed or added it. That's how you know you did your job well. When we finish this recording, I would like to know what those... Like, are there anything so would that, I. Was there anything on my side? Or? Nope. Okay. I, I mean, it were, th- these were just things that no matter... I knew I was going to have to fix later, so I'm just like, all right. Then. I really have to know what these are now. So when we, we'll talk offline, but I'm very curious. I may or may not tell them. I still haven't decided yet. The, um, uh, uh, so... But the, your reality is always going to be kind of augmented that you can look at something a thousand times and, and, and think it's fixed. Yeah. You know, until somebody says, no, we don't see it. Or vice versa. You'll look at something a thousand times and you'll never notice something. And then it takes one person to go, hey, that's not right. Yeah. There, there's a boom mic in the background. And then you go, son of a bitch, I can't believe I didn't catch. But when you're watching something over and over and over again, especially when all three of us sat 
you know, in Zach's room and watch this short over and over and over again. We were obviously, we were very nervous. We wanted it to, our first episode to be right. I think we're a little bit more sensible this time around. We're way more sensible this time around. But we're we, at least again in like two or three weeks, give or take. Well, we watched it. And also, too, Zach, there's a lot of visual effects in, in, in this first episode. A lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff to watch. Do you have any visual effects going into the second episode? So far, no. Okay. There yeah, might be a so. few. I might remove a few things, but it's but to be decided. But overall, once the edits, once we hit picture lock, it's just sound and color and we're done. Yeah, pretty much. I figured as much. Um, I didn't I didn't think there was going to be a lot of you know uh, visual effect, post-visual effects. In this no, part. if anything, it's just going to be, all right, I really like this take. Let me remove that from the image so it works. Yeah, but but yeah, that would be my my big thing is that you know don't you know have the people involved to observe things that you may have missed, but also have other people there so you don't become obsessed. Yeah, and you don't you know fixate on certain things and go well it has to be perfect and do it a thousand times. You know, eventually you have to release your work. Yeah, yeah. You you know otherwise you know. That, that's that's really the hardest part, especially if you've directed, written, and all that. Like, you you just you're paranoid about releasing it because you see where all the mistakes are, you see where all the mess ups are, you see where it's like, nope, this is bad, nope, this is bad, can't do this, nope, have to go back and fix and this, and it's an endless loop. And and I think the three of us were particularly nervous about uh, Snapchat Nightmare because I mean, that was actually our first narrative piece. In years, 2016 was the last time the yeah. three of us did a narrative together, and that was my yeah. That was my like last narrative in general. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I had acted in other things, but not not. I had you worked know. on a few things, but nothing really, you know. And that was actually my first narrative as officially a DP. Like I had DP narratives before, but that was back in my day. Or it's like I'm not a DP. I'm just doing this because nobody else will. Um, but yeah, that was actually my. Like, since calling myself a DP, that was my first narrative piece. So even I was nervous about that. Um, so yeah, we, we had a lot to prove to ourselves on that one, I think. Getting back in the director's chair, um, but editing then, visual effects, and doing some heavy visual effects like I haven't done in a while. It's And then here's the bad news, too, I have for the two of you. Uh, and I asked um, one of my instructors at the ASC Masterclass, because obviously... They're, they're ASC members. This is what they do. Even today, even the, like they've shot car commercials. They've shot TV series that have won awards, movies. Um, they don't get any big easier. effects movies too, and all those like. Even we still see the mistakes that we could have done better. And I'm just like, oh. Damn, if even <laughs> you won't get over your mistakes and you're teaching master class, what chance do I have? You are your you know, harshest critic. You know, you guys could have lied to me. You guys could have lied. That would have been great. <laughs> you didn't have to tell me the truth. You could have just lied. No, that's how you know they're, t- that's, that's how you know they're good teachers. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. So if they're bullshitting you, then it's like, well, you just wasted three grand. There was a lot of firsts on that set. And, and, and there was a lot of, a lot of things that could have gone, it could have gone wrong. And we were all very concerned about it. Um, Yes, there's a lot of things that we were all very, very nervous about, um, but I think we discovered that some of that stuff, 
you know, was inconsequential. You know, I, I... But we did eventually release it. We did. Yeah. We did. Um, and no, people seemed to enjoy I'm, it. I'm glad that we would rather fix something and make sure it's done right than just be lazy about it. Correct. I don't think any one of us would be lazy. And you know what? And, and back to talking about, like, obsessing over one thing and everything else. I, um, I remember when I was in theater when I was, like, 13 or 14... And we're going, we're in rehearsal and everything else. And there was, you know, a couple lines that I wasn't getting 110%. Um, a couple, like I would flip flop a word or whatever, but the sentiment of everything that I was saying was perfect. But I was getting pissed off at myself because I couldn't quite get the word right. And I remember the one director, not like the main director, like the assistant director, was said, I've been doing theater for like for 25 years. I have never seen a audience member come in with a script and follow a fucking actor through that. He didn't say fucking because it's a Christian youth theater. But I'm saying it for emphasis. I've never seen uh, an audience member. I've seen a director do that because that's what directors do. But I've never seen an audience member come in with a script and follow an actor and then shout from the back of the audience, Hey! You didn't get that right? That line right? That line right here? They didn't get it right. It wasn't right. Never happens. Never happens. Um, it took a tremendous amount of pressure off of me. Um, and I think it took me this episode, that first episode to relearn that lesson is that, you know, all, you know, the audience is only going to know a 10th of, of what actually goes on a 10th. Like it's only what you, you show them. Even that, um, doesn't always sink in 110%. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, one of the big things I can say is, you know, put in you know, all the work you possibly can. Give 110%. But also, cut yourself some slack. The um, You're going to learn. You're going to make mistakes. There's going to be times when mistakes just cannot be avoided. And that's just part of the process. It's part of learning. It's part of learning this this crazy game that we're all in together. And um, and something you have to go through. You have to, you have to, you know, work through those issues and work through those problems. You know, um, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins said, you know, you're gonna do ten things. You know, um, uh, you'll do ten things in your career. One will, one will be awesome. So just do everything. The more chances you have, the better off you'll be. Yeah. So that's 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 my piece on that. Um, uh, the Zachamus, anything anything more on on dear old post? Squirrels. I figured. <laughs> the uh, B man. Um. Yeah. It's. Prep, prep, prep. God, I'm, I'm gonna... The more prep you do, the better off you're going to be, both in production and post-production. I really don't think Brandon's ready for, for Mark, the director, because I'm going to drive you insane. I want to talk to you all the time. Brandon, what do you think about that? Brandon, Good. what do you think about that? Brandon, Brandon's home about... alone all day. The, um, Brandon, what do you think about that? Brandon's in the shower. What the hell? <laughs> what do you think? Be, like the scene from Psych. I'm gonna, there's, what do you think about that? <laughs> What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Do you think about I, this? I just want to point out we have a live audience for once. Oh yeah, the cat's staring right hey, at kitty. me. Kitty, <laughs> kitty, kitty. The um, uh, he's like, what the fuck are you guys doing out here? Because they're talking to no one. It's crazy humans. Here, uh, what, I, I'm getting you a photo for the podcast uh, posting or whatever. Actually, we may just do that as the title of the podcast. Kitty. Kitty. <laughs> no, no, Mini Me. We don't eat our kitties. 
I was actually we pet watching them. <laughs> we pet them. I love it. The, the voice is, is based out of, uh, off of Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Wee! Wee! <laughs> okay, so we're way too easily distracted by the cat. Oh. Um, he's adorable. He is, in fact, he adorable. Is. He is, yes. All right, um, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, so that is this week's Nightmares podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to f- subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like our podcast, like our videos, uh, check out our first episode. It's on the YouTube channel. Uh, like us on Facebook at uh, Living Nightmares Official. 